All right. Good morning, Orangewood. Great worship, huh? Powerful worship. And uh, I'm amazed so often uh, how uh, the song selection perfectly picks up with what I've prepared for the week. And so thank you, worship team. Thank you, Jack, for your leadership. I appreciate you big time. Power, power. We're going to be talking about power. And that last song that we sang today really is a statement of faith, isn't it? When shadows fall, what are we going to do? We're not going to panic. It's a statement of faith, of trust. And it's about power. Last week was Resurrection Sunday. This place was packed. I don't think there was a seat here. It was a powerful day. The resurrection is about power. We're going to talk about it as we finish our study in the book of Ephesians today. But before we do that, let's bow our heads and hearts in prayer. Our great God, we do come into your presence today and how thankful we are for your goodness. How thankful we are for the reality that you are a God of power, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Before the world began in the eternal councils of the triune God, you planned everything out in eternity. You planned that Jesus would come And Jesus, you have come and you have made all the difference in the world in human history. But you didn't just come. You lived for us. You died for us. You rose again for us. And we thank you for all of that. And now we come as your people uh, before the God of the universe in the grace of the gospel. And we ask that you would meet us in a powerful way. We pray that you would show your power through your word through your spirit, as you take it and apply it into every one of our lives. We need power because we are needy people. And so we come to you asking for power and even that you would work through the speaker today. We pray for the one who talks and teaches that you'd forgive him his sins and use one who is finite to communicate your infinite truth. And we pray these things in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Well, uh, it was great, interesting to have Brandy up here doing the announcements today. Brandy Nix. Of course, you know Mark Nix. His nickname around here on staff is Mark the Mark the Shark. And Mark, uh, and I, I just like that because it reeks of power, doesn't it? Uh, you kind of picture the shark going through the waters. He texted me this morning and said, I won't be in the service because I will be with O-Kids back there in Shark costume. And I know every one of you wants to get up and just walk out there. I do, frankly, we ought to take a timeout. I'll just pile in the back and see him. This would be awesome. Sharks speak of power, and I like that. I got a text on my iPhone uh, yesterday on the news feed uh, that said that PG&E, and that's the power company in California that I was raised under, it, uh, 5.4 million people in California, most of the state of California, uh, are under PG&E, Pacific Gas and Electric. And they, uh, they have a new plan to deal with, this is real, they have a new plan to deal with the wildfire situation. You know California's had incredible wildfires in the last several years. And their plan is that when the winds pick up, the Santa Ana winds, when the winds are dangerous, they're going to shut the power down completely over a large portion of the state because they can't control their own electricity. They know that it'll start a power. Now, how's that going to go over? You can imagine the feedback is already coming. It's not going over. You're going to take away my power? 
You're going to shut down my TV, my air conditioning. You're going to take my iPhone away. You're going to shut down the power. That's not going to work. We are about power. We live because of power and Christianity is about power. At Christmas, we celebrated the break-in, didn't we? The break-in of the eternal Son of God in our Advent series was the reality of the break-in, the birth of Christ, the break-in of the Savior, the break-in of power, the break-in of salvation. And then in January, we began a series in the book of Ephesians, which we're going to conclude today. And, and we, I know you, it's been that long, hasn't it? In the book of Ephesians, but in Ephesians, we've been seeing how the break in of the Son of God and in his death, burial, and resurrection intended, therefore, to work into God's people and then break out from us into the world in which we live. So we've been talking about the great break in at Christmas and the break out of power through us in the gospel. And uh, now Paul ends this letter, and what's he talking about? Power, the breakout of power. Listen to me on this. Every day is a power encounter for you and me. Every day is a power struggle. Every day. Make no mistake about it. Missiologists talk about this all the time. They tell us that it's about power. And the reality is every day we are in trouble because we face a foe that wants to take us down. Interesting how Paul begin, ends this letter by sending us out with this whole concept of power. Ed Rush is a retired Top Gun Marine pilot, decorated uh, veteran tutors in Iraq. He uh, was uh, the kind of a Top Gun guy that uh, uh, is larger than life. I don't, he, just an amazing guy. He wrote a book recently called The 21 Day Miracle. And he starts it out by saying this. He says, you want to know the biggest lie in personal growth, he, he's, he's into personal growth teaching now. I don't believe he's a Christian, but he says, you want to know the biggest lie in personal growth? The tortoise and the hare. The tortoise and the hare. You've been told that slow and steady wins the race. And you've been told that persistence and consistency create champions. They don't. That's because in real life, the rabbit always wins. <laughs> always, always want proof. Put a real rabbit next to a real turtle in a real race. The rabbit smokes the turtle every time. Vegas won't even give it odds. No one bets on the turtle. He's consistent, persistent, and very, very, very what? Slow. This morning, my son cornered a rabbit in our garden. Hey, Dad, I have this rabbit trap. Come check it out. Three seconds later, the rabbit was through the fence and sprinting away at about a 1,000 miles an hour down the driveway. I love this. I, I think he's right. The more I think about it. Now, I'm not against slow, persistent, st uh, steadiness. That's important. That's important, but it doesn't always win. And so he wrote his book, The 21-Day Miracle, talking about a strategic sprint that you can accomplish a whole lot in 21 days. That's how he wrote this book, 21 days. He learned to become a pilot, 21 days. He lost weight that he needed to live, 21 days. Strategic sprints. So the tortoise and the hare, do you believe it? The rabbit wins every time. All right, that's one lie we bought. What are the other lies that we bought? Interesting. 
We have bought into a lot of lies we don't even know that we bought into. One of, one of the lies that Christians often buy into is the lie, Christianity is all about love and it's not about power. That's a lie. Or Christianity is all about action and not so much about teaching. Or Christianity is all about teaching and not about action. You see, once we, once we take the gospel away from the work of Christ and what he has done in his death, burial, and resurrection, and we realize that it is the power of God unto salvation, once we move the gospel away from that power-centered, salvation-centered work of Christ, we have bought a lie and we've moved away from the essence of the gospel that sets us free. And what Paul wants us to understand is that every day is a powder encounter, and it's because of the gospel that we are set free, and we make a difference in this world. So let me read the text. And I've got some of your attention. Some of you are saying, nope, heresy is going to flow from the front of this church today. I'm going to try to stay away from heresy. I try to stay right to the text. So let's read it. Here it is, Ephesians 6, 10 through 24. Finally, finally, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God with all prayer and petition. Pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to proclaim with boldness, the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I, what? As I ought to speak. But that you may also know about my circumstances, and now he wraps it up, uh, how, how I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us, and that he may comfort your hearts, Peace be to the brethren, love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. By the way, a great passage to memorize, a great book for us to continue studying, isn't it? Great, great book for us. Well, you see, what Paul is doing as he wraps up this letter is he is talking about something that's very important to Orangewood Church right now. And that is, that is organizing for battle, being filled with power as we go into the next phase. The pastor search committee's at work. The elders are at work. The staff are at work. We've got a lot going on. But this text is absolutely crucial because 
What the Apostle Paul is telling us, as he told the church in Ephesus, is that the spiritual ministry of the church is really a spiritual battle, and and it's time to gear up. The break-in of power in Jesus has to break out, and it has to break out through us, and it has to break out every day, every week, and, and, and that's what ministry is. We've lost something. What was the first song we sang today? A mighty fortress is our God. Martin Luther, I love that guy. He was as erratic and as bizarre as you could ever imagine. He was more, he was more bizarre than you could ever imagine. We get to heaven, you go, man, he was the, the leader of the Reformation? Yeah, God uses wackos sometimes. Now, don't get me wrong, I loved him. I, I, I've read his stuff. I, I love the guy. I can't wait to see him face to face. He was a, but he, one thing he never forgot, one thing he never lost sight of, every day was a spiritual battle. I mean, one time he threw an ink, his inkwell at the wall because he thought Satan was standing right there. Probably was. He was translating the New Testament uh, and, and the Bible into, into German so everybody could read it. Was he in spiritual warfare? Absolutely. Listen, this is the reality for us, and I want to unpack this, but it's so important. How do we break out in power? Paul tells us we break out in power with three key uh, directions that all flow together. We break out in power with with, uh, real-world spirituality, real-world weapons, and real-world grace community. Let's unpack this text that way, and then I'll get you out of here to sign up for vacation Bible school. That is true power. You know, I first started speaking at, at um, um, uh, rescue places in Long Beach, California. Rescue, what do they call them? Rescue Union. Yeah, the Rescue Union in Long Beach, California. Those poor guys were hungry and they had to hear me preach before they could eat. It's terrible. Before you sign up for vacation Bible school, here it is. Real world spirituality. It starts out verses 10 through 13. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his mighty power. So this, this starts us out, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness. Real world spirituality means that we take our relationship with Jesus Christ as it is, as we accept him and as we grow in him, and we apply it in the real world, the world that is, not the world we want. You see, sane people are living in the world that is, not in the world they want. You and I can try to create our own reality, but that's, that, that's crazy. And what Paul is telling us is he's giving us a picture of the real world as it is, and the real world as it is is a world filled with a whole organizational structure that is allied against you and me. A counterfeit kingdom that is in direct opposition to the kingdom of God. There are rulers, there are powers, authorities, there are world for it, it extends, it extends in the unseen world all around us. There is an invisible, powerful, and determined enemy that wants to see Christians and everybody else fall. That's the real world. That's the real world. That's why he says, by the way, the the devil is our adversary, isn't he? And he wants to see you in hell, and he wants to see your hell to begin now. That's what he wants. 
Uh, and that's why Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, because the devil has schemes. You don't want to know what the Greek word is for schemes? <laughs> Methodia, from which we get the word Methodist, that Methodist denomination. No, 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 no. Well, sort of, sort of, it is the same word, Methodia, Methodia, method, schemes, tricks. The evil one has a whole bag of tricks. He has, he has thousands of years of experience, methods, methodology, hell-bent, tried, true, tested to trip you up. That's who we're, uh, we're, we're opposed to. And I don't want you to take this personally because uh, the devil hates the unsaved just as much as he hates the saved. So don't take that personally. But someone is out to get you. And, uh, and it's important. And don't look at me that way. I mean, I'm not weird. I'm a Presbyterian minister. And, and Presbyterian ministers don't tend to come up with weird, outside-the-box types of things. I'm just a Bible teacher. I'm teaching what the Bible said. And students, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to give you the reality so you can be successful in life. You have to understand there is a spiritual warfare going on. And, uh, and, and, and our enemy is right here at hand. I've always thought that evil, because it's invisible... And because it's willing to do the unthinkable, evil always has the initial tactical advantage. And I don't know if you saw the news uh, last night, this morning, uh, about the at- attack yesterday in Poway, uh, California, at the Jewish synagogue. Poway, where's Poway? I think San Diego. My cousin lives there. And, uh, uh, and, and so, uh, so a guy came in, started shooting, his gun jammed. There was an off-duty police officer who, who but still, one was shot, several were wounded. Evil always has the initial tactical advantage because it's willing to do the unthinkable to the unsuspecting. That's the enemy that we face. That's what Paul's talking about here. And uh, it's important to understand that the enemy essentially is at hand. But isn't it a great truth for those of us who are Christians? What did Jesus say when he came into the world? He said, repent for the kingdom of God is what? At hand, right here right here. And so this is what Paul wants us to see, is he wants us to grasp the reality that there is a power, a power confrontation going on right behind the scenes, right near us. Don't be unsuspecting because it's right here. It's right around us. But thankfully, the kingdom of God is here. So then when he says, be strong, I want to unpack that verb for you. For By the way, some of you are thinking, this is my longest point, okay? So don't panic. We got three points. This is my longest one, all right? Be strong. When he says be strong, it is in the present tense, which means this. Be strong today, be strong tomorrow, and be strong when? Always. That's when a verb is in the present tense. That's what Paul said. It's also a command. Notice this. He's not saying, hey, this is a good idea. Be strong. No, he's saying, this is a command of God through the apostle to us, be strong today, tomorrow, every day. But I want you to notice this. It's also in the passive. You say, wow, spiritual pearl. Now, passive means this. You're commanded to be strong today, tomorrow, and the next day, but you can't make yourself strong. It's a passive verb. It means that you have to be made strong. And that's why it says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. 
So we are weak people who need to be made strong, and we can be made strong because the gospel gives us that power. Christianity is a religion of power. It always has been, and that's always been one of our major selling points uh, to the world. You say, what? Yep. Could you imagine Christians in the first century in the Greco-Roman Empire telling people about their new religion that they wanted them to join? Hey, I'd love for you to come join our new religion. We're a bunch of weak people, and we've got a weak God, and we just sit around and wallow in our weakness. We'd love to have you, and also love you to tithe uh, to our church. Christianity, no, Christianity from its very inception was a religion, was a relationship with God based on power, not weakness. Of course, the power of Christ for us, in us, through us. And we have simply got to regain the reality that, that that's what Christianity is about. The Greek, the Greek world, we sometimes forget the, the, the Ephesians, we're, we're living in the fifth most important city in the Roman Empire in the first century. It was a Greco-Roman city in, in, in the sense that Greek philosophy underlay. What was Greek? What was the Greek? Remember the Greek gods? You studied mythology. Uh, were Greek gods? Were Greek gods somebody to trust? No, Greek gods were worthless. A bunch of these superhuman power things that were all about themselves, all about their sex, all about their power, all about their money. And so the, the, the Greek gods, the Greek gods never were really here for the people. They couldn't offer them joy. They couldn't help them. Did the people find comfort in the gods? No, they didn't. And that's why, that's why Greek philosophy came along later, because a lot of people stopped believing in the stupidity of the Greek gods. So Greek philosophy, which was atheistic, said, well, here, we can find our way to God. We can reason our way into a perfect world. Did they? No. At the end of the day, Greek philosophy didn't help me either. What about the Romans? The Romans. Wow. The Romans had gods everywhere. The, the Romans had more practices. There was a God for everything. A God for the nursery, a God for nursery food, baby food. There was a, a baker and a God for the ovens of the baker. There was a God for everything. Their whole life was regulated completely. But, but at the end of the day, the, the Roman gods, which were Greek gods with different names, uh, were abandoned too. And so everybody in power became cynical. And so they would do the external religion, but inwardly there was, there was no power. So, so when these Ephesian Christians came to Christ with that Greco-Roman mentality that the gods really are not for us, they're not in us, they're not helpful to us, they're dangerous, when they found that in Christ there was a God who saved them and loved them and had a plan for them and would give them power, I want you to know this was monumental, big deal. And it's a big deal today because we live in an increasingly atheistic country where functional atheists rule the day and, um, and do we need power? We need power. And so this is so, so important that we understand this. That's why Paul says, take up the full armor of God. Not part of it. Here's my challenge. Here's my challenge. We have got to learn to fight. Christians have got to see that it's not just, just 
coming to accept Christ for our sins to be forgiven. But once we do, we become the targeted enemy of the evil one. And Paul doesn't want these Christians with whom he's unpacked the full gospel. He didn't want to think them to think it's going to be a cakewalk. Yeah, come to church, throw some money in the play, volunteer for VBS after the preacher's done. Yeah, just have a good time. No. Christianity is entering an army on the side of the unseen enemy. So the challenge is to learn to fight. Now, we got to use real world weapons. So real world spirituality says, I'm in a battle. Real world weapons help us to break out in power. And that's what comes on in verses 14 through 20, as he tells us to stand firm. I don't know if you did the counting. How many times does he tell uh, the Ephesian Christians to stand firm in this text? Three by my count, stand firm, stand firm, stand firm. You have an enemy. Because you see, sometimes the enemy charges us. Sometimes we charge the enemy. Sometimes the enemy charges us and you have to learn to stand against him. And so we've got to use the weapons and he unpacks those weapons in verses 14 through 20. And, and, and these are, these are powerful weapons, um, uh, that help us win. And I want to unpack them for you real quickly. Uh, I'm not going to go in depth on all those weapons, but real quick. But you know, one thing I really enjoy about some of our young preachers in America today is a lot of our younger preachers are more authentic in their preaching about their own failings. Isn't it nice kind of coming to church and, and, and seeing the guy up front who's not got it all together all the time? And so some preachers, it's nice to hear that they're authentic. And our younger preachers have helped us older guys say, hey, we don't have it all together. I want to go on record. I don't have it all together. I, I, I want you to know that um, got very quiet. I'm going <laughs> to confess sins here. Uh, I want you to know that I've experienced probably everything you've experienced in the way of temptation. I want you to know that I've been angry uh, at Christians. I want you to know I've lost my temper that I'm impatient at times, that I'm fearful at times. Probably, probably we all suffer from the same things. I want to go on record that, that, that I, as our younger pastors in their authenticity, that the gospel of grace enables us to be honest. I don't have it all together. Joe is close. <laughs> Love that guy. I don't. We've been honest about our struggles with each other, but, but I, I don't have any ministry disqualifying sin to promote to you today or tell you about today. And here's why I have learned to fight not because I'm good, but I've learned to fight with the weapons that God has given. Because when I first started out as your church planner out on that side of town, I'd preach a sermon. And as I'm driving home on one shoulder, I heard, hey, that was pretty good. You should be very proud of yourself. On the other shoulder, I heard, oh, that was terrible. Oh, gosh, you missed three things. That was horrible. I've been in spiritual warfare all my adult life, starting at four o'clock on Saturday afternoon. That's when I figured out it started. I'm out there with my kids, four o'clock. I start losing my temper. Oh, four o'clock. But the reality is I've learned to fight. And we have to learn to fight with God's weapons. 
the belt of truth goes on first. Truth sets you free. Truth is everything. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. We need the belt of truth because the belt goes on first. uh, And Paul is drawing on Old Testament imagery and Roman soldier imagery, not strictly the Roman soldiers. He doesn't talk about the javelins or the greaves that go over the legs. He's using Old Testament and Roman armor here in his mind. Faith goes on first, then the breastplate. And the breastplate of righteousness taps into the belt and stays in place. The belt holds the breastplate in place. Breastplate of righteousness, Christ's righteousness through faith in Christ leads to our righteousness, right? Christ, there's not a one of us that doesn't want to be better as we follow Jesus. And so when we see his Christ, his righteousness given to us, we want to be righteous and he makes us righteous. Our feet uh, uh, shod with the gospel of peace. The Roman soldier had nails through his sandals so he could stand firm. You've heard this phrase, preach the gospel of Always use words when necessary. Now, I don't know who said that, Mother Teresa. It's just not biblical. Because in the beginning was the word, and the word is Jesus, and the word word means words. And everywhere we go, I mean, I can do relatively good deeds. I know pagans that do relatively good deeds, (laughs) But I can't put anything into perspective about Jesus unless I use words. That's why Paul says, be ready to talk about it. It's a battle. When we don't talk about it, there's no battle. When we do talk about Jesus, there is a battle. All right, there it is. Shield of faith. That's a kind of a door. Big slab of wood covered with leather, soaked in wood. When the shield of faith was held, it would put out the flaming missiles of the evil one. Uh, The helmet of salvation. You know, when Steve Brown and I do the radio thing on Friday, I don't know if you ever listened to that. He's got this great voice. I've got this voice. And, um, but you know the question we get all the time? We get it all the time. We got it this past week. I am struggling with the unpardonable sin. I think I've committed it. Have I? We get that. That's our number one question. I've committed the unpardonable sin. And we always say, what do we say? We say, well, if you're worried about it, you haven't. If you're worried about it, you haven't. Because those that because the unpardonable sin is disbelief, it's rejection of Christ. Put on the helmet of salvation for crying out loud. If you accepted Jesus, put it on. You don't need him to hit you over the head with that. That's why it's important for us to do to put that on. Uh, the sword of the spirit, the word of God, um, uh, and then and then prayer. Actually, prayer is the big deal that ties it together, doesn't it? Prayer is what ties all this together. He doesn't give a a, a false piece of of, of weaponry. He just says, pray, pray, pray without ceasing. Prayer, we need to learn to fight. We need to learn to fight with the weapons God gives and prayer ties it all together. And then he wraps it up. You see, we can break out in power when there's real world spirituality. There's a battle out there. When there's real world weapons that we're using and when there is real world grace community, I love how he pulls this together. Uh, he, he, he says, um, he says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. But then as he pulls it together, let me go back to this one line here. It's so powerful. But you may know about my circumstances, how I'm doing. 
Tychicus, the beloved brother and the faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. Real world community. Guys, one thing I think is so true is that we're living in exile. We have a young man in the church sent me an article on that. And absolutely, I love those theologians that point out that Paul wrote the letters to people scattered throughout. Peter wrote letters to people scattered throughout the Roman Empire who were absolutely exiles in the world in which they lived. We're exiles. Living in a world where there is a spiritual battle and where we need each other. And so everybody talks about community because Christians, people like to get together, right? Yeah, we do. But the reason we have to be together is that we can help each other, that we can fight for each other, that we can fight together. And so this community that Paul started with and ends with, in reality, is this grace community as we live in exile. Somebody once asked us another question we often get is, I, I, I'm, I don't know if I'm in a trial right now or if I'm being disciplined by God. Have you ever wondered that? Life is not going great. You go, am I in a trial? Is, is it a trial that's just normal to everybody or is God disciplining me for something I did? You know how you can get an answer to that? Community. Meeting with God's people. Praying about stuff. Sharing these kinds of things. Working out life together. A mighty fortress is our God. We've covered a lot of ground in Ephesians. Chapter 1, chapter 2, dealing with the reality of the gospel that triune God was wrapped up in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit saving us. Chapter 2, this new community put together of Jew and Gentile And how does Paul wrap this up? He wraps up this this incredible letter by talking about the community that we're in together. So so we're in a spiritual warfare. So how how does the power of God break out through us? It breaks out through us when we have a real world spirituality, when we're fighting with real world weapons, and when we're fighting together in the community of God. Because we need each other. And we can't live without the gospel flowing through each other to each other as we go out there. That's how the the kingdom is advanced. So here we are. A mighty fortress is our God. And we've been told to surrender all. Don't you love that? I do. Don't you want to surrender all? Because of what Jesus has done, We do good works. Because of what Jesus has done, we come to worship. Because of what Jesus has done, we live a completely different life. Not afraid, most of the time. Sticking together. Leaning on the king. Where we're headed in the next year uh, and the rest of this year is going to be a great journey because Jesus is the head of this church. 
and he will never let us down. And where he's taking us is for his glory and our good because he's large and in charge. Let's fight together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this assembling of delightful people that you have called out by name and gloriously redeemed. And Lord, as we gather, as we worship, as we now get ready to go out, I pray that you would send us out, not as individuals, but as a body in a real world grace-based community, completely built by you, Jesus. Would you allow your power to flow through us? Would you give us joy that nothing and no one else can give? And we'll depend on you as we face a broken and often difficult world. But we'll face it together with you, for we pray in your strong name. Amen.